0: Hello and welcome to another installment of Bar Talk Podcast, bringing you everything you need to know about law via discussions, interviews, and news updates. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Anne Marie O'Brien and I am your OBA president this year. Welcome to Lunch with Fenner, one of our most popular events out of the year. So thank you all for coming. Please go ahead and keep eating while I talk and then Professor Fenner will start. So um, I did go to Creighton Law School and um, I was just teasing Professor Fenner that I carry this book around in my purse at all times. You all know what this is, right? It's the NJI, the jury instructions. And so to young associates that join our firm, I always tell them this, the singular most important thing you can do for your practice as a trial attorney is buy this book every single time it comes out. And it's not just a plug for Professor Frenner who really um, wrote this. It's because practicing law, especially trial work, but even contracts too, is really like a recipe you need to know what your burden of proof is if you're a plaintiff, right? So I see heads nodding. And if you're a defendant, you need to know what their burden of proof is and what your affirmative defenses are and how you need to go about proving that. And so this book tells you everything. How to write a complaint for a breach of contract? It's right in here, because it's your burden of proof. How to plead an affirmative defense? Statute of limitations, it's right in here. It's your burden of proof. So this is all you need as a young lawyer or as an older lawyer like me in order to be a good trial attorney in the state of Nebraska or in order to draft good contracts and be a good business attorney here. Because this tells you what happened and what went wrong and how it blew up and how you can avoid it. So with that said, every time I open it up, I think, what a prodigious brain and I know he's embarrassed, but I wrote him a note about this once, because this really encapsulates everything we need to know. So how lucky we are today to have Professor Fenner come and give his annual talk to all of us. So without further ado, Professor Mike Fenner.
1: So, I wrote this much of it, <laughs> and and the uh, guy from UNL wrote this much. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for coming. Um, I want, I I got a. Hang on a second. Talk to each other, will you, for a minute? Okay. How's that? It is louder, or you want me to speak louder?
0: Maybe it's out
1: on. <laughs> Where's the IT guy? <laughs> well, yeah. There we go. Um, well, thank you all for being here. It's nice to, uh, nice to see so many friends. I, I usually uh, talk about some good things that are going on at Creighton, and th- this is a big topic, so I'm not gonna spend much time on that but I do want to say how happy we all are to have Mike Kelly as our dean. Um, He's he's really turned things around. Got them back to where they were. I'm I'm gonna talk today about what I believe is the single most important threat, the single most serious threat to the structure of our government, the most serious threat to our democracy. And no, it's not this guy. Uh, Robin, I put that up for you. You may not like the rest of what I'm gonna say, so and I'm not talking about the Russian interference with the election the meddling that this man uh, denied and then said he never denied it and, and then blamed it on Obama and I'm not talking about the study that found that more that, that, that uh, people, uh, the more people watch Fox News the worse they do on uh, current events tests and 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 while we're on this subject, what about these people who say that the kids from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and earlier the kids from Sandy Hook that they're actors, that it's fake news and that it's all a deep state leftist plot and probably Obama's fault somehow? Sandy Hook, where twenty six and seven-year-old students were gunned down. And uh, six adults, six staff members were also gunned down. H- have these people no shame? Well, but I'm going long term. Back in the day, back in the day when a candidate was running for the House of Representatives, the United States House of Representatives, or for state legislature, that candidate had to appeal to a wide variety of uh, of voters. There would be Catholics and Jews and Protestants and and, and some people who really had uh, nothing to do with religion in the district. There'd be liberals and conservatives and independents. There'd be some Republicans and some Democrats and in some of the districts there'd be members of more than one race, and to get elected by such a diverse group, the candidate had to reflect that diversity. And so the candidates ended up being more moderate. So candidates with extreme views had to moderate them to get through the primary, and then they had to. Keep them moderated to get through the general election. So you'd end up with two candidates in the general election, uh, neither of whom was from the extreme wing of the party. So that was then. Uh, This slide got screwed up a little bit. That M is not supposed to be there. Other anyway. Then. You'd have the you'd have the Democrats, I, I put them on the left, the Republicans, I put them on the right, but the candidates would tend to be more clustered in the middle. And they could get things done. They could get things done for their whole for their whole state and for their whole country. They could find compromise. They could get things done that would benefit not just their own gerrymandered district, but would benefit the people. Today, uh, the Democrats and Republicans are a little like what we hear at least and read at least about the Palestinians and the Jews. They're enemies, they just shout at each other, there's no listening, there's no attempt to understand, no ability to compromise. Back in the day, Congress could pass the Voting Rights Act of 19. 65. Back in the day, Congress could create the Equal Protection Agency, President Nixon, and they passed Medicare and Medicaid. And by the way, can you imagine Congress today passing Medicare or Medicaid? Is your imagination that wild? Well, here's the now slide. The now slide with extreme partisan gerrymandering has extreme Democrats the, 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 on the Democrat and the Republican side. They have to, in the gerrymandered district where it's the whole district's just their party, in the primary, they end up having to appeal to the base which way too often is the extreme wing of the party where have all the moderates gone? They've been weeded out by extreme partisan gerrymandering and then Congress froze. And it's this guy's fault. This guy is Elbridge Gary. Elbridge Gerry enrolled at Harvard when he was 14 years of age. He signed the Declaration of Independence He signed the Articles of Confederation. He was a a major player in the writing of the Constitution, but he refused to sign it because it did not contain a Bill of Rights. He was a member of the House of Representatives, and he became governor of Massachusetts. And in spite of all of that, today he's only remembered for one thing, gerrymandering. In 1812, While Elbridge Gary was governor, his party controlled both houses of the Massachusetts legislature, and they drew their districts, and they drew the one that resembles a salamander. Gary was personally opposed to this kind of partisanship, but he signed the bill anyway. He said it's highly disagreeable, but apparently he held his nose and signed it, and he gave us a new word. Somebody commented that this new district looked like a salamander, and the person to which he was talking retorted, no, it looks like a gerrymander. And then over the years, we've just retranslated that into into a gerrymander. This this, uh, poster up front. This was Tuskegee, Alabama. And as you can see, it's a square. It's a recognizable geometric shape. African Americans who lived within this perfect square, within the city of Tuskegee, were not allowed to vote. When Tuskegee saw the way the wind was blowing and saw that the federal courts were going to order them to let the African Americans vote, they changed the city limits. They changed the speed of the perfect square to uh, this. And as a result, they excluded from the city all but four or five African-Americans and not a single Caucasian. The Supreme Court of the United States characterized this as an uncouth, 28-sided figure that excluded all but four or five of the African American residents within the previous boundary of Tuskegee, and not a single Caucasian resident. Well, the court struck this, the Supreme Court of the United States struck this down. Uh, They said this violated the 15th Amendment, the right to vote, without regard to race. The court said this, Tuskegee has fenced Negro citizens out of town so as to deprive them of their pre-existing municipal vote. So racial gerrymandering gave us legislative districts like this. This is a legislative district that follows an interstate highway, and the member of Congress elected from this district said, if I drive down the interstate with all my car doors open, I kill half my constituents. Racial gerrymandering was used, obviously, to keep African Americans uh, from being able to vote until the Supreme Court stepped in and declared racial gerrymandering unconstitutional. Now the issue before the Supreme Court today is partisan gerrymandering. There's a case that has been argued in the court and it's a waiting decision. It's called Gill versus Whitford. But I'll come to that in a minute. Uh, first, a little history. The United States Constitution requires that a census of the United States be taken every 10 years. And th- th- there there are a lot of things that happen after this census. But the reason they put that in the Constitution was because they're going to use the census to apportion the House of Representatives. And this is when partisan gerrymandering mostly occurs, not always, after the new census. And the uh, after the decennial census, then the new lines are drawn. And they are gerrymandered in a majority of the states, the new lines are drawn by the state legislature. So the state legislature, well, political gerrymandering comes in two forms. One is where you cram the opposing party, the, the, the party that has the in control in the legislature, crams the members of the opposing party in one district. So they get a safe district, but the party in charge gets a number of safe districts to every one that the other party gets the second kind of gerrymandering is division it divides the members of the minority party and puts them in a number of different districts and they don't have any they don't have a majority in any of the districts so you create you create as many safe seats for the party in control as you can. The purpose is to maintain your party's control of the legislature and of the United States House of Representatives, and to keep the opposing party out of power, likely for at least 10 years. This is a Texas district in 2002. It was reapportioned. Partisan gerrymandering. Here's what it looks like in 2004. Now, you don't have to look at that very hard to be suspicious. Something's going on here. It used to be like that, and now it's all divided up like that. Here's uh, District 2 in Houston. Again, on its face that's suspicious. On its face, there's something nefarious going on here. The party drawing the lines gains a significant advantage. Here's a sampling of districts in um, Wisconsin. And the district in the upper right-hand corner, that's this. And if you look, at the part where Goofy's foot is, is hitting Donald Duck in the rear. If you look right there, the, the connection right there is the Brandywine Hospital. That's the, that's the only thing that makes this district contiguous. The Brandywine Hospital, where I assume there are no voters who live in, in the hospital. And if you look up here, in uh, in Goofy's neck, right there. Well, let me show you what's right there. It's the parking lot. It's not even this restaurant. It's the parking lot for Creed's Seafood and Steak Restaurant in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. So, the, so what we have back here is Pennsylvania districts. So. Back to the uh, the Goofy and Donald Duck. So here, so we have these districts that are shaped so bizarrely that that you just know that whoever drew those lines was up to no good. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court held that these districts and others are unconstitutional. And they, um, they said it violated the Pennsylvania Constitution. They ordered the legislature to come up with a new plan by a date certain. And then they ordered the governor to either approve or veto the new plan by a date certain. And then they said if those things didn't happen, they'd draw the plan themselves. Well, those things didn't happen. So the Pennsylvania Supreme Court drew the plans. Um, this is, uh, they've asked the United States Supreme Court to review this case, but as of today, the Supreme Court hasn't, hasn't uh, done it, hasn't accepted it. Similarly, a three-judge panel in North Carolina held that the North Carolina partisan gerrymandering was unconstitutional. And North Carolina State Representative David Lewis had said this. We want to make it clear that to the extent we are going to use political data to draw these lines, we are using it to gain partisan advantage. And they did use the data, and it worked. In the election for the United States House of Representatives in North Carolina, the vote, 53% of the vote went to Republicans, and Republicans got 77% of the seats. That's right, with 53% of the vote, they got 77% of the seats in the United States House of Representatives. In North Carolina, the Republicans used their advantage. And, And remember, once these seats are turned into safe seats for their party, Well, they're likely to stay safe seats for some time. And once they are turned into safe seats, then in the primary election, the candidates are pulled to the extremes. The extreme left on the scale I had it before, or the extreme right on the scale uh, that same scale. And there's no way for the other party to break in. Well, there is a way. But basically, uh, it doesn't happen. Uh, It did happen once in Missouri, where I'm from, and that's why Claire McCaskill is still in the United States Senate. Todd Aiken was her Republican opponent, and he said on television, so we have the tape, he said that, I wanna quote him here, well anyway, he said that a woman can't get pregnant as the result of, and these next two words are his, a woman can't get pregnant as a result of a legitimate rape. That's quite a two-word combination, legitimate rape. But in any event, once he said that, well then, he, he, was, he was way ahead in the polls, or at least ahead, before he said that, once he said it, uh, he was gone. And, and here's, a, uh, here's a district... Here's a district from Michigan and on the left is the gerrymander district and on the right is the Michigan Michigan district. It's just darn near a mirror image of the one that Eldridge, Elbridge Gary signed into law. Now, David Brooks wrote this. We don't really have policy debates anymore. We have one big tribal conflict and policy fights are just proxy battles as each side tries to establish moral superiority. But just as the tribal mentality has been turned on, it can be turned off. Then and only then can we go back to normal politics and take reasonable measures to keep our children safe. And for me, the biggest step that we can take to get back to normal politics is to put a stop to partisan gerrymandering. Some states have done this on their own. Uh, Alaska, Arizona, Idaho, Washington, and California have done this on their own. Now, I know, when you look at this map, the squiggly lines are, of course, the coast. And then there are some squiggly lines in here that, that have to do with what they call mountains out in California. And of course, this straight line is, is borders for other states, but look within it. There are just an awful lot of straight lines. There are an awful lot of districts that are contiguous without having to run it through a hospital, without having to run it through a parking lot, and there are, there are lots of... Recognizable geometric shapes, or or near perfect geometric shapes. It's a lot different than this. In Arizona, the independent uh, the, you know the the independent commission in Arizona was create ah hello Lorraine. Uh, I'm glad that you have recovered and that you are up and here. So, as I often say to my students, where was I? So we, we, in Arizona, the uh, Independent Commission was voted in by the people, an initiative. They voted it into law. The legislature sued, claiming this was unconstitutional, to take this power away from the legislature. They didn't like the people taking away their power to gerrymander. The United States Supreme Court upheld the Independent Commission by a vote of 5 to 4. And of course, you all know who was the fifth vote. So. In 37 states, the gerrymandering is done, the district line drawing is done by the legislature. But let me get some constitutional law into this talk. Here are the arguments against partisan gerrymandering. Well, one is the fundamental constitutional right to vote and the fundamental right to have your vote count. It's the Constitution's requirement of a rough equivalency in the vote count. A rough equivalency of every person's vote. And the problem with these state statutes, with the, with the way uh, they draw the districts, is that you end up with wasted votes. You end up with Some votes count more than others because the others don't have a chance. Couple that with equal protection of the law. This is a state act of unequal treatment that disadvantages one political party and does so intentionally in order for the advantaged party to gain and maintain control of the legislature. It's political party discrimination. It denies some voters the right to have a chance to influence policy. There's also a free speech and a freedom of association argument that's made in these cases. Um, Extreme gerrymandering, extreme partisan gerrymandering renders the speech of some uh, ineffective And then there's this, I'm gonna give you a pop quiz. The voters should select their legislators, that's A. B, the legislators should select their voters. Well, it's just pretty clear to me that that's the answer. Extreme partisan gerrymandering undermines the legislature's accountability to the people. And instead, it makes the people accountable to the legislature. The answer is clear to me. The voters should select the legislators. The legislators shouldn't be allowed to select who's gonna vote for them. This is a core principle of our democracy. This is an argument that says that partisan gerrymandering is, uh, it violates the structure of the Constitution. In addition to the specific clauses that I've mentioned, it violates the structure of the Constitution. And we don't have the same kind of government that the framers anticipated when they wrote the Constitution. The argument is that extreme gerrymandering doesn't survive the rational basis test, reasonable must review, and it also doesn't survive uh, strict scrutiny. The, 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 the argument is that there is no legitimate state in, in partisan gerrymandering, and the other argument is that this is a violation of the fundamental rights of voters. And it can't, and so there's a compelling state interest in, in not allowing uh, this kind of gerrymandering. The arguments in favor of the gerrymandering are mainly two. The first one is that there are no judicially manageable standards by which the court can distinguish extreme partisan gerrymandering from just regular district line drawing, regular gerrymandering for uh, other reasons. The lawyers uh, in this room will recognize this as the political question doctrine. The second argument is found in the elections clause of the United States Constitution and here's what it says. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. The argument is that the Constitution specifically grants this power to the states. There's a constitutional commitment of this power to the states. And so, courts cannot be involved. Again, it's the political question doctrine. Here's my response to these arguments. First, it's just the irregularity of the lines. You look at those lines and you you know that something's up. That's a prima facie case that there's a problem. It's a prima facie case that this district is suspicious and needs to be looked into further. Second the language of the drafters of the the gerrymandering, the legislative history of the gerrymandering. Remember what David Lewis said, we want to make it clear that to the extent we are going to use political data to draw these lines, we are using it to gain partisan advantage. So there's some more evidence of what was going on in this case. Third, percentages. I, these, are, these are all, when you lump them together, it seems to me, these are all judicially manageable standards for a, for separating the extreme partisan gerrymandering from just normal district line drawing Percentages. If, 60 per, if 60% of the votes in the state, statewide elections, 60% of the votes were blue, and blue only won the election in 25% of the districts, well, that's suspicious. And remember what happened in North Carolina after they gerrymandered? Republicans got 53% of the statewide vote, and they got 77% of the state's members in the House of Representatives of the, in the United States uh, Congress. Uh, another, uh, another telling factor, are the districts contiguous and compact? Well, I've shown you a lot of slides, perhaps, this one is well as, as, as is as good as any. This is not contiguous. Well, I guess that one is contiguous, but it's not compact. And I would argue that when you have to run it through a hospital or a parking lot of a seafood restaurant, uh, that, that doesn't really count as contiguous. How, to, to what extent does it divide cities and counties? Uh, except when it has to because of population numbers. Remember the uh, seventh district in Pennsylvania. This district is composed of parts of Berks County, Chester County, Delaware County, Lancaster County, and Montgomery County. They have uh, really divided these counties up. And then there's this argument. It's a structural argument. Voters should be allowed to select their legislators The legislators should not be allowed to select their voters. To allow the latter (coughs) subverts our democracy. It subverts the pillars of our democracy. It subverts the form of government that was set up by our founding fathers. So then there's the elections clause argument. How do you deal with that? Well, one more back. Let me back up just a step. There's another thing about this. They say the, the the argument is it's a political question, and and the courts can't get involved because they can't figure out how to manage this. Well, they did a they did a pretty good job of doing it when the lines were drawn along the lines of race. So the the federal courts have experience with dealing with these kinds of questions, and the federal judges that I look around and see in this room, they're smart enough to be able to figure out at least when it is extreme partisan gerrymandering. <clears throat> well, what about the Elections Clause, the one that says state legislators should do this? And therefore, they argue there's a constitutional commitment to the state legislatures, the federal courts can't get involved. Well, these in 37 states these lines are drawn by the legislature. We all know that state legislatures they have a lot of power but they can't exercise that power in a way that violates the United States Constitution. They can't draw lines to, 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 to punish those who speak out against the governor or the or the or the, or the or the head of the uh, of the house or Senate in that state. They can't draw lines that discriminate on the basis of religion. And I would say they can't draw lines that discriminate on the basis of political party affiliation. And, and state laws, just like, just like any other law, they can violate what the Constitution giveth, the Constitution taketh away. And so the, this is not some unique thing for federal courts. So. And it seems to me that a statute that engages in extreme partisan gerrymandering is a statute that is unconstitutional. Now, here's a little history on the Supreme Court. In 2004, four justices, no, let me back up, Uh, in 1986, six justices on the United States Supreme Court said that partisan gerrymandering is justiciable. It's not a political question, courts can get involved. So you had six justices who said, not a political question. Two of them, however, believed that on the facts in that case, the challengers lost. So while a majority of the court said it's not a political question, uh, the other majority, when those, when those two moved to the other side, the, the other majority was that the challenger doesn't win. And in 2004, there were four justices who held that the question is justiciable, courts can get involved in partisan gerrymandering. Four justices said, no, it's always a political question, there are no judicially manageable standards, courts can't get involved, and they would have overruled the 1986 case. One justice said, and again, it's Justice Kennedy, one justice said, well, I think these things are justiciable, but there's not enough evidence in this case to to overturn what was done in this case. So now we have a four to four to one split. The court has changed since then. Uh, We have new justices, Roberts, Alito, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Gorsuch, but they don't seem, that addition doesn't seem to have changed the liberal conservative Kennedy split. So here's Gill versus Whitford. This involves uh, Wisconsin and partisan gerrymandering in Wisconsin. Here's what happened in Wisconsin. In statewide elections, Wisconsin is evenly split between Republicans and Democrats. Here's a slide showing the makeup of the Wisconsin State Assembly. Their House of Representatives. Because of political gerrymandering, the Republicans got 64 seats in the Assembly and the Democrats got 35 seats. So, statewide, evenly split, but here the Republicans get almost twice as many seats in the State House as do the Democrats. And, of course, again, if I may say so, once you get this partisan gerrymandering in place and by the way larry reminded me this is not something that that only the republicans do they just happen to be the party that's currently in power in, in, in so many of these states uh, democrats do it as well democrats pray that after the next census the, the lines will be redrawn so that they can get control and gerrymander engage in their own gerrymander but, as I've said, once you engage in this extreme partisan gerrymandering, you tend to move the candidates to the extreme wing of their party. The candidates do not have to appeal to persons who hold a variety of, 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 of positions on, on, on the issues. They don't have to appeal to, uh, well, to some extent, they don't have to appeal to a variety of, uh, of, of religions, they just have to appeal to their base which tends to be the extreme wing of the party. So, how's Gill versus Whitford gonna come out? Well don't ask me, you have to ask these people and if you, if, you, know, if you pull back the curtain if I can paraphrase Yogi Berra it ain't the law until the Supreme Court says it's the law. But really, it ain't the law until this guy says it's the law. He's going to be the swing vote here, as as he always is on these close cases. He's a conservative when it comes to economics. Uh, he's a libertarian when it comes to uh, individual rights. And 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 he's already said that there is place in the court for reviewing these extreme party gerrymanders. It's also possible that Chief Justice Roberts will come down on the side of the Wisconsin voters who have filed this lawsuit. He seems to be a big believer in the structure. Oh. Sorry. They're podcasting this. I hope I didn't damage. Anybody's ears. He he seems to uh, be he he seems to be big on the structure of the government created by the Constitution, and I hold out some hope that that he will see that this violates that structure. And um, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. For me, extreme partisan gerrymandering subverts the very pillars of our democracy. It's no longer a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. It's a government of the legislators, for the legislators, and by the legislators. So personally, I hope that the United States Supreme Court delivers a knockout blow to this partisan gerrymandering. I hope they stop allowing the legislators to choose their voters and return us to the day when the voters actually got to choose their legislators. And let me finish where I started. Thank you all for coming today.